0: Visit expresspros.com today to find a location near you. Summer is almost here and I'm so excited to go on vacation with my kids next month. We love going anywhere warm with a beach. I always make packing harder than it needs to be, but this year I'm doing all of my summer shopping at Macy's. I can find everything I need from bathing suits, sandals, summer dresses, shorts, even towels and sunscreen at Macy's. Whether you're packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need. You can shop top brands like Levi's, Dolce Vita, Lacoste, and more. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Get ready to simplify your life with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Plus with Wi-Fi for up to 10 devices, you can keep everyone entertained while on the road if we could only record the pre chat and the post chat, mm-hmm. that would just be. That's the money maker. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just go, you can say it actually. It's kind of funny. Well, not that part, but okay, the other yeah, part. Yeah, yeah,
2: Okay. I go, well, it's with Jana Kramer and friends. Kat says, you're the boss to Jana. And I said, yeah, it's Jana Fights Kramer. Dana, and I go,
1: yep. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> yeah. Which is true, but you just don't usually just I don't ever you, do you that. Would, like, skirt around it. Well, no. Yeah, it's
2: all three no, today she all it. It. Yeah. <laughs> today we are and so,
1: friends. Yep. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah, but then you said, but what's his face? Still has his. Oh, oh. I won't say it. We but. get so
1: many messages
0: all the time.
2: They're the like, "Why screenshot. is he still there?" I'm, like, I'm like, I don't I'm
1: not know sure why
0: either." Actually, still it's it's on there. Um, quick checkup before our amazing guest joins the show. You can say hi though. Come on, Jason. Hi Come guys. on in.
3: How are you? It is is great to be here.
0: Oh Jason, we're so happy to have you. Jason's in the so hen house. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that is very true. I like that. The yeah. uh-huh. house. We are hen new, house. New right there.
0: We are so excited to have Jason Waller on the show with us and we're gonna get into it. But how was everyone's Easter?
1: Good. Yeah? Yeah. It was tiring, but it was great. How tiring. Was
0: Speaking of tiring.
1: Did you make everybody
0: happy in your family?
1: Uh huh. We'll see. We showed up. Okay.
2: Your show sure now, vote. though, revisit it in therapy, and Kat will know the real truth of Easter it's 2023.
1: It's fine. Did you divorce we your husband?
2: Uh, I made it through three days of Disney at 30 weeks pregnant at 41 years old. I just want to high impressive. five
1: myself. <laughs> That's very impressive. That's incredible. You, yeah. Did you have fun?
2: You guys, my ankles were so swollen <laughs> at the end of the day. I felt like I almost got one of those motorized carts, you but I felt have. like there was somebody that needed it more than mm. me. It was really something, but we did it. Right. happiest place on earth is my bathtub, but my kids had the best pl- time Wait, in you have Wait, you can
0: take a bath with the baby?
2: I mean, I have been.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I guess it's not? third time. I Everyone's just like, really? when
2: you get to the third, you're just like... I thought you like, couldn't have a bath with the baby. So I always... I never I took I baths that. with the other i think it's past a certain point maybe oh, okay <laughs> i don't know we're gonna find out because everyone will write to me yeah. You will we'll
1: know now dr, dr. google come is to coming shame me. <laughs> no, no, no 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 i just
2: was, i know <laughs> they will on instagram uh, they'll write to fine. me oh, all the so ob's good. will come out the secret ob listeners will come out it's fine it's fine how was it's your easter time?
0: well he has risen indeed Jana. he has risen indeed um it was great uh we went over to Sarah Bryce's house. We had church, it was lovely. Um, I wasn't supposed to have the kids, but it was awesome. My ex let me have them and it was like the best weekend ever. And uh, it got out there. They're like, oh, seemingly Alan has met the kids because Jolie, we took Jolie to a soccer game, oh. but like also posted a photo of Alan. And then uh, and then put at it Easter, <laughs> it was, like the <laughs> photo. And then, so yes, he's met the kids. And, Alan's not gonna be where soccer is anyways. I know, right? Right, but it went great Great. and the kids love him and it's been awesome good yeah yay (laughs) good
2: okay (laughs) now to you
3: jason i know now easter was fantastic we actually went to church on saturday so we had the whole sunday off and we were outside for the first time like all day eight hours we had two two water balloon flights we went through i think like 450 water balloons and just on. it was like just act like a kid and we just had the best time a couple easter egg hunts and spent time with the kids and, and the wife and just relaxed.
0: you've been married for how many years now
3: oh my gosh coming up on 10 our anniversary is 10 12 13 yeah so coming up ashley on, ashley is. My and you wife. have two babies two babies i got delilah who is five and mm. wyatt who is geez almost two two in june
2: so that's really been something. Yeah, two-year-old boys are something.
3: Yes, it is. He's in that phase right now where it's he wants to do everything, and if you don't let him, he he just loses his. Shit. So <laughs> it's it's uh, it's interesting. It's a process, and mm-hmm. I'm learning uh, slowly but surely. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> right around two is when I felt like legend, and I needed our own couples counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to yes. talk to your wife. And you yes. just moved here from California.
3: Yes, we just got here almost a year ago to date. Um, moved from Laguna Beach and. Absolutely loving it out here. You know, we came out here to to slow our lives down and uh, just uh, you know to to get out of the raft of Southern California. And um, we yeah, Laguna
2: Beach is just horrible.
3: It's beautiful, but it's, it's, it's <laughs> really it's, it's
2: different. Than, it's
3: well, it's different than it, it is. has nothing. I mean, it's a, a a great place, the best childhood I ever had. But honestly, it's just it's just different, and it's not the way that I had grown sure. up. And, I mean, just when we moved here, just to put it into perspective, this hasn't happened in twenty plus years since I lived there. Within the first 24 hours of us moving into our house, three little girls came and knocked on our door and asked my daughter to come out and play. And like, yeah. that's kind of one of those things where I looked at my wife and I was like, we made the right decision. And just yeah. kind of have that more wholesome vibe. And um, again, as I go back, I got 22 family members that still live in and from Laguna to Costa Mesa. So I'm I'm there often. Um, but I just if we were going to do it, we thought the time was now the kids were young. We weren't going to uproot them if we didn't like it. Uh, you know, we can move back, but also some little bit of backstory or history to this is my grandfather actually, uh, grew up off of Moores Lane, uh, in Brentwood. I grew up
1: on Moores Lane.
3: Let's go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then my whole, my mom was born in Memphis and then I got three, I think three generations or four generations from Tennessee on my mom's side. So So it
0: feels rooted. Is
2: anyone
3: still
0: here though right now or no? Yeah.
3: So I have, uh, great aunts and uncles that live up by Tim's Ford. Um, I have some family in Clarksville. Um, kind of like scattered around, but, uh, yeah, just a f- few relatives.
2: It is very cozy here. People love on each other.
3: It is. The people are incredible. I I mean, I, I didn't know, I'll never forget the drive when I was coming out here. So Ashley and the kids and, and mother-in-law, they all flew out here. And I remember driving was me and my dog and just a little trailer <laughs> behind, like with our personal stuff. And I was like going through New Mexico. I'm like, what am I doing? Like it was just like that real like we're just kind of broke down. I'm like, dude, I'm literally leaving, and it it just didn't hit me until then. And um, but honestly, I was just asked the other day, you know, what I do I want to move back? And I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost it's a grieving process because that's all I've known for 35 years was was Orange County.
0: Is there a piece of you because of everything that you went through? Is do you um, does that piece hold on to not wanting to go back? Because of like who you were there.
3: That's a great question. No, um, I think I've done so much work on myself that I've really processed and gone through that where mm-hmm. I'm I'm really comfortable with where I'm at, like physically, mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally and, and spiritually. And I think through all that work, it's mm-hmm. allowed me the opportunity to make a decision to actually be at a place to be like, hey, let's get up and move. Mm-hmm. Um, because I never thought that would be a part of the process, but that's just a testimony of when you put in the hard work, what can really come to fruition? Because if I didn't do the work I did on myself, I would have never have left there.
0: Well, it's interesting too, because one of our friends had said this, uh, some of the most healing work that she's ever done was going back to the places that broke her the most Mm -hmm. and also realizing like who you are today. Like, so when you go back, you have to be so proud of who you are versus how you were then.
3: Yeah, I did a, uh, I was on a interview yesterday and to look at, you know a a kid that was struggling severely with addiction um was very lost um and just in a in a really deep dark place i mean my addiction drove me not to contemplation but attempting suicide and um just and i grew up you have to understand i think putting that into context i grew up this happy outgoing kid who loved surfing skateboarding snowboarding was always outdoors and in the depths of my addiction, it was me by myself, you know, in in a room. Um, And so it was a very lonely, miserable place. And so to be able to kind of pause and process through all the treatment centers I went through, through all the trials and tribulations with the law and um, just my own internal battles of the people I hurt, all this stuff, there was a lot there. I always joke like I'm gonna be making amends for the rest of my life just because of all the destruction I did, but to actually really be honest with myself, like I'm so proud of where I am at today, like, to be able to look in the mirror and to be happy with what I see. I'm comfortable in my own skin. And for years and years, I never was in that spot. And, um, you know, after doing so much work, I was able to actually identify that I struggled with addiction and alcoholism way before I ever picked up the drink or the drug. And that, you know, 12 or 13 years old, I had struggled severely with OCD to the point where I'd wash my hands till they would bleed. Um, and I'd have to wear neoprene gloves at night, uh, and I'd have to put, you know, put them in, uh, with Neosporin in them to let my hands heal, but on the outside. So that was what was going on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. But on the outside, I was the popular kid. I was always good at sports and kind of had to live this double life, which ultimately led me to, you know, even with seeing psychiatrist and therapists and, and having really good support, I got a much more alleviation from, from substances. And it was, that's what I was using as my solution was alcohol right mm-hmm. to take away that pain and what i'd felt even though i was seeing doctors and and but again at, at 12 13 how are you able to you know not knowing what we know today how are you able to try to process that type of stuff at that age um and so i d- i never was able to get really fully open and honest and so it's been a journey you know it's for it's those of j-
0: people that don't know the journey how long were you in active addiction
3: oh god um i'd say i really started struggling About 16 or 17 years old, and then it progressed. Is that when the show started? I was shortly thereafter. So I think I started filming probably when I was like 17. Laguna Beach. Laguna Beach. Mm -hmm. And then um, it went from 16 to, I mean, bad until 23, was able to get sober July 23rd, 2010, had five years of sobriety, and then went out on pharmaceutical synthetic grade meth, AKA Adderall. Um, And that took me down really, really bad. Uh, to the point of where on and off, it wasn't like a three-year bender. It was like I'd have a few months sober. I just wasn't willing to get open and honest. Uh, but that landed me at the first floor in Hogue Hospital detoxing while Ashley was giving birth to Delilah on the third or fourth floor. And So
0: in I cell. saw that in our video that we did. And that was like, as when you look back now, I mean, now you can show your daughter, okay, this is, you know, your daddy is healthier. But is there a piece of you that, Struggles with that knowing that you weren't there for your wife in that moment.
3: Yeah, um, it was a very
0: like. How do you make amends with that with yourself? I guess, or
3: I mean, forgiveness is one of the most powerful tools, right? Mm-hmm. And I I can't hold on to those types of things, sure. and I, I have to. I believe your greatest setbacks are the greatest opportunity for for your comeback, and and you know, it, it's it's looking. It's so crazy to like think that your biggest deficits are your greatest assets and um like that is a big motivating factor like even though I was physically there literally went from the first floor up the elevator to watch my daughter be born uh but you and that's how cunning baffling and powerful addiction is you'd think that would be enough to stop but I didn't actively arrest the disease or get stabilized right I was in detox for like two days Mm -hmm. I went home with the family and back at it again four or five Mm -hmm. days later and um it was about a six month on and off process where i actually was finally intervened on and i had to go back into treatment i mean i did the full the full thing that i needed to do
0: is that when it was over or did you still go back again
3: that was when it was really over that was kind of the real surrender Mm -hmm. um and then kind of the to give you the full scope of everything is right after that like a little bit long like probably i don't know nine months down the road the hills came back and there was an opportunity to come back on television and and again as i thought this would be a really good opportunity to share our story and i think by expressing vulnerability it creates humility and it allows an opportunity for people to connect and ashley had her own story and i had my story and i thought this would be really powerful but it was a huge decision because we're like we love our life where it's at do we want to really go and do this but i believe that it was kind of god's opportunity f- from being who i used to be to show how much I had changed because even that that relapse and stuff happened, I don't discredit all the work that I've done. I was a different person sure. still. And I think that was just a part of that journey. And so um, I ended up experiencing just a lot of, a lot of my own stuff came up again Insecurities. I was overweight, um, you know, and just going back on television, it was just, you know, just um, image, right. Self-image was just kind mm-hmm. of something that I was struggling with. And so, we are we already shooting. And then that stuff started to percolate. I did not reach out, did not talk to anybody. And I, I'd taken a pill, I drank and then I called Dr. Drew and got open and honest. And, and so that was a huge difference, right? I'm not justifying my, me doing that, but I have the tools and the resources. I should have reached out to somebody way before I ever picked up. And because mm-hmm. a relapse manifests way before you're actually picking it up. It's like the sure. dominoes falling. And so, um, at that point I got open and honest and I started talking about it right away cause I did not want it to go down that road. And so it was, I call it a lapse if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, if that didn't happen, I'd have over five years, but I have three years of sobriety now. Um, and that was the last time that that had ever happened. <laughs>
0: When they say in uh, what the meetings, like you realize your life became has become unmanageable, unmanageable. Um, you basically got intervened. So a lot of times when they say like intervention sometimes don't work because you're not ready yet, right? So was there a moment where you're like, what made your life go, okay, I, it's unmanageable? Like obviously, because it's like, was it <clears> what the people were saying to you in the intervention or was it just like, because I've been told that those interventions don't work that well because they're not ready yet
3: it's every different strokes, different folks. Right. And I think if you have the right team and the right support, I think you can really help navigate that into getting people and guiding them because a lot of people that are in those States are literally at a place where they've lost the right to make their own decisions. So they don't even know what's right or not. So I'll Mm -hmm. share with you what really, when I call my entering into recovery was back in 2010 Um, Mm -hmm. because you have to remember had everything society says amazing whether it's notoriety fame access my all these different things and you know it, it, i i hated life i mean i tried taking my own life and um i'll never forget the moment which i call my moment of clarity when i was sitting in a therapist office just like this with my mom and dad and my mom and dad uh looked across from me like there was this is th- we've done this a hundred of times there was nothing that was unique about this but there was a, this, something happened here my dad just looked at me and I've never seen him break down. besides when his mom had mm-hmm. passed away. And, and he just looks across and he goes, Jason, we don't know what to do anymore.
5: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: you know, our, our marriage is suffering. The family is just a complete, we we're we're totally lost. Um, and mom and I weigh mom and I lay in bed like two planks of wood waiting for the phone call that you're dead. Mm-hmm. And whatever that was, there was something that came very clear to me and that became my motivating factor is like, I didn't care enough about myself to want to do it, but I tried taking my life. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's kind of like, what else is there to look for? But thank God for the family dynamic that I had had and the parents that I had had growing up and, and just that sense of respect. And, and um, they became my motivating factor. And so that was the moment where I really transitioned. And then, you know, months down the road after I'd committed myself, I was open, I was willing, I was willing to take direction. I got honest um, you know, after my life started to change about six months down the road, I really saw that this was something I wanted to do for myself and that's where my real journey had started. And mm-hmm. so every situation is different. Every situation is unique. There is not a one size fits all model and um it's a very ind- individualized process. And so like, again, is how I got there may be different than how you would have gotten there, mm-hmm. right? And so, it's taking that into account and looking at people's background, their history, their, you know, the environment and the things that had happened to them is their pregenetic disposition. There's so many different things that can go into effect with it. Um, and, and well, and you,
0: you kind of said, too, like, a lot of times people are like, all right, childhood, the wounds and the trauma, but it sounds like you had a great childhood, too. So there, it's like, well, then why why did this happen or how did I do this or like… Trying to find that like why it must have been frustrating too.
3: Well, I'm Cherokee, German, and Irish. I should have had a stamp on the wound when I came out. <laughs> just basically saying this kid cannot use anything. Um, but no, there the pre genetic disposition of my family is half my family struggles with addiction and our mental health. So it's like again, as I had it, that's what's I didn't have any of that crazy childhood trauma or you know the environmental stuff. Like I had a very, if anything, I had a very uh, amazing childhood, and mm-hmm. so it's where it wasn't really didn't line up, but struggling with the mental health and stuff that that's now where it makes a clear picture is mm-hmm. that was kind of outside the context and through Dr. Amen, who I'm starting to work with now, I had found out that I had had potentially had had pandas, which is basically a PD. I forget the acronym of what it is, mm-hmm. which I know should that know that, that, but it's basically caused by strep throat, which is a piece mm-hmm. that actually will um, attack a part of your brain that can trigger OCD. And had I known that a long time ago, who knows what have kind of would have happened? But um, it's it's crazy to kind of see how I went down and navigated that road as a young adolescent.
2: So when you're young, and I'm glad you mentioned your parents because I was that was one of my questions. Like, where were they in all of this, and how active were they? And when, like, when was the first time that they noticed anything, like the hand washing, all the things?
3: My parents were very involved. Um so I mean my mom likes right when she saw me she saw my hands and she's like what the what's cuz I'd go like this and they'd just crack and they'd just bleed and stuff and so she's just she psychiatrist I mean they were part of that whole process and I mean I started seeing somebody at 12 13 years old um whenever it was that time frame when I was in there and they did everything that they possibly could and what they were equipped with and they were along that ride in that process and you know and I was even a part of it and that's how close we were at 16 16 and a half years old when I went to Provo, Utah to wilderness camp and to a boarding school, I was we it wasn't like I was kidnapped in the middle of the night. I mean, I made that decision with them, like, hey, I'm kinda going down the wrong road, like let's course correct this. But after being out there for a little bit of time, I was able to manipulate my way back and be like, Yeah, this ain't the right fit. Let's get back. <laughs> and so and that's where they struggled, is they you know, wherever there's an alcoholic or an addict, there's a codependent and sometimes they're just as sick if not sicker. Mm-hmm and my parents were really harming me in areas when they thought they were doing good, like and not, not to their own accord. They, you know, they just didn't have the the knowledge. And so when right. they were, they were throwing pillows when I really should have fallen in certain areas and that progressively got worse, but also then fast forwarding through, you know, um, uh, going on television, it's like at 18 years old when you're the most impressionable and, and the most impulsive, like, and you're an adult, <laughs> there's only so much control they have. Right. And so we had, instant success. And so, like, Mm -hmm. usually where your parents have some type of financial restraint on you to a degree, um, if you're going to college or different things, they can kind of, you know, manage that process. Um, And it was like, either join me or see ya. Yeah. And so that's kind of how, you know, they just, I I respected them, but I was also, I was super, super, super sick. Um, Mm. And all I cared about was the next drink and the next drug.
0: When you talked about amends in the show, is there anyone... Like, did you have to have amends with a lot of people from the show?
3: Yeah. I made amends. I wish I could talk to you about something that we all just did, um, but I can't right now. um some, there's, something, <laughs> there's something cool coming out. Um, but I can't say anything about it. Uh, but I've made amends to, I'll say, every girlfriend on the shows. Um, there was a few. There was a few.
0: <laughs> Were there any that didn't accept the... No, I, uh,
3: I think the thing that people don't realize is like I, when I was the drunk asshole, when I was drinking and stuff, that's, that's what, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. But also I think when I was sober, when I was sober, people got to see who I really was. So, and I don't think the media or the viewers of the shows ever got to see that other side. And so I think even like when I've reconnected with like Kristen and Steven and all the people that I have over these last few years are just like, God, this is the guy that we, we knew, you know what I mean? It was just, you were lost. And and so I think that they, the, the short answer is no, they, they were just, they're really happy and proud to see where I'm at today. And I think honestly, they're, they're more surprised and shocked how much I've changed. Um, cause it was pretty bad.
2: Well, it's also 20 years ago, right? Almost 20. Like, I mean, when it started, talking, yeah,
3: I'm 36 now. I mean, I mean it's. I mean,
2: They've all changed too.
3: Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. A
0: lot of grace, I would assume. Yes. Everyone's
3: growing journey. A hundred percent.
0: I think that with the, the amends too, I think it's a beautiful thing. Cause it's not like you're like, I've had to make amends with certain people and I've even said to them, I'm not asking for you to say it's okay. Or I forgive you or any of those things. I'm just telling you like, you know, that I'm sorry. I handled this wrong. That was wrong of me. No excuses are made. And you know, the person that I did do this to, couple months ago, they are like, it's okay. I'm like, no, no, it's not okay. You know, but
3: no, it's taking, it's keeping your side of the street clean, right. Yeah. And it's taking ownership and accountability. And I love, I mean, w- the way that I approach amends is almost identical to that is I take full ownership and accountability for what I did. Mm-hmm. I'm not justifying my actions, but whatever I can do to make it right and better, please let me know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's sometimes, and I've had, trust me over the course of time, there's people, not everybody's responded <laughs> as gracefully. Um, some people just are like, Thanks, but no thanks, you know, and, mm-hmm. but I'd say more so than not, people have been very receptive to it, but for me and my process and my recovery program, it's just keeping my side of the street clean. I have no control or I can't have an expectation on the outcome of it. That's not why I'm doing it. It's really to, to do the work and to make things right.
0: So right now you're very, um, which I love. That's how, cause we met at, uh, Jason and I met at an airport in LA. And we ended up talking oh, the entire sister. flight. Like the only time I ever took a middle seat, right Kat? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Kat like, oh yeah, I get the window. <laughs> I'm
1: like over here reading a book while they talk the whole time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it was so nice to just to connect with someone who um, was so open and vulnerable. And I loved hearing your story and getting to know you. And since th- uh, that flight, um, I've been able to be a part of some of the stuff that you're doing with mental health. And I just... I love what you're doing and I appreciate what you're doing because you're helping a lot of people and you're going to help even more with, um, the doctor Amen, yeah. um, and everything else that you're doing. But, you know, because you are still in recovery, right? Every day is an, is a new day. And it's something that you have to continue to work on. Is there a piece where sometimes you feel like what sometimes makes you feel like, Oh my God, I I'm, I feel like I'm slipping a little bit. And like, how do you kind of stay back on track?
3: Great question. I love that. Um, I've developed and built a program by looking at it from structure and consistency, creates safety. And I think if you have kids that you can, you can kind of look at that as the same thing. When a kid's on routine, he wakes up as his morning breakfast, he has his nap. He has his, he's usually typically pretty good. Um, and the same thing with adults. And so I've incorporated that within my life. And so Um, to answer your first question is having that connection with myself when I'm getting overwhelmed or when I'm stressed, being able to identify and what that looks like. I always believe it's, I live like a triple A modality. It's awareness, acceptance, and action. If I'm not aware of what's going on, I can't accept it. If I can't accept it, I can't take action. And so, um, I have, it's, it's recovery for me. It's a, it's a daily routine, right? And so in the morning I wake up, I do a morning meditation. I read the Bible. I read a, a daily devotion, I do a gratitude list of three things I'm grateful for, but not only what, but why, because that's where really the meat lies. Uh, and then I do some form of exercise, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's taking my dog for a run, but I get outside, I get some sun, I get that. That's kind of how I always start my morning. And then sometimes I would incorporate that with, I have Bible study that I do, or I go to, I'll go to meetings and then I go about my day. Um, and then at the end of the day, which I think is, is one of the most important things that I've done is, is I do an inventory kind of like what we're talking about with making amends. I do that with myself. I do a check and I'm like, Hey, where did things go right? Uh, and where did things go wrong? And what do I need to do to clean up? If there's anything that I did that I need to take ownership for clean that up um, but also acknowledge the successes that I did and and, and the achievements that I made for the day, because oftentimes I think we overlook that and giving myself kudos. But what that does is a lot to me an opportunity of a fresh morning that next morning. And so I think that's what is key is especially with addiction, there's a big difference between being abstinence of drugs and alcohol versus living a life in recovery. And it's one thing to, just, just to white knuckle it and to be a part of that process. But there's a difference when you're working a program. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. No, I still have my moments. I still outlash and stuff like that. But I have a support system. I, I still go to therapy. I've done this for years now on a weekly basis. I still see a therapist. I'm plugged into a church. I have three or four guys that hold me accountable. I have my Bible study that I can be totally open and connect with. Um, And like coming in here, like you even saw me deep. You're like taking deep breaths. It's just because this week's been overwhelming. And so like I come in, I know like breathing really helps. It's just stuff that I've done over the course of time. It's funny that people will pick up on it, but it's just how I operate now, you know, and um, and it's communicating about that. You know, yeah. like when it's just coming in, it's, it's, I try not to, like when people ask like, how's it going? It's like, I try to really say like what's going on as opposed yeah. to like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm great. Family's amazing. It's like, shit, it's been overwhelming, you know, like, and yeah. life's very full right now and I'm very grateful. Um, But that's, I think it's, the communication factor is is huge and detrimental. The thing that kept me sick for so long was dishonesty. Um, That was with myself. Um, Not only with people around me, but I was the person I was hurting most was me. Mm. Um, And again, as I still fall short. um, But, uh, you know, I I think today is, is I, I take ownership in that. And I know I love the life I have today. And so like, I want that I want to continue that I didn't love the life I had for many years. Um, and people on the outside, people be like, God, that, I want that life potentially. Um, not when I was getting arrested and all these other things, but some of the, yeah, it was
2: a hard pass when that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going
3: to lie. But the byproducts prior to that, or even as, you know, and just growing up, like when I was young, 12, 13, 14 years old, I just remember people like, Hey, you have a great life. It's like, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And yeah. I think that's the other piece too, is is everybody's struggling with something. And let's say one of the biggest things to my uh, recovery is, is service is giving back. Mm. I try to do a lot of giving back.
2: So Ashley, does Ashley also seek support? Cause I know it takes a village to help an addict in recovery.
3: Yes. So Ashley, actually, she does. And she was uh, instrumental in me getting uh, the help that I needed. And again, that's goes back to one of the questions you were talking about before is like, what was, you know, what took place in that intervention and is people setting boundaries and, and, and her being able to take care of herself because she got so sick in her own ways with codependency and enabling that mm-hmm. she would lost sight of who she was mm-hmm. i mean she literally will tell you she like i didn't know what color i liked i mean i didn't know what food i liked. i mean that's how her 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 addiction was my addiction she was like addicted to the addict and so um yes she again weekly therapy does groups she's actually now um running and is the face of uh the family recovery foundation which is for people that are directly impacted by the disease of addiction. So it's a clinically led uh, support group. So it's it's clinicians that are there to bring oversight in, and and um, add value to people that were in her shoes. And so she runs that on a weekly basis. And Good for her. Um, She's really she's actually really like trying to to make a push in that area. I'd say that's one area that's de- uh, deficient in the recovery mm-hmm. community is is for those that are directly impacted. And I'm supporting her in that from a legacy piece for me is because when I was struggling, I had all the resources I had all these people, all these places to go. And, you know, and and keep in mind, I'm in, actually tr- as a newborn. There's, you know, all the things prior to leading up to that. I mean, she was putting her head on my heart every single night to see if I was still breathing. My heart was beating, like all these things that I don't witness, plus the verbal abuse and just the things that go along with addiction. And, and it's like, I come out and it's like, yep, yeah, you're supposed to be good, ready for me to come home. And it's like, that's just not the case. They had to endure so much. And there's so many people that are affected by all of that, that there's not enough being done. Cause it's one thing, again, there's great, like onsite, which is here in Tennessee, Mm -hmm. great program and stuff like that. But one is a lot of people can't afford that. Or two is Mm -hmm. what are you doing for continuation after that? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think Al-Anon and and CODA meetings are all really good, but how can you kind of boost that on a steroid level with like, I think adding a a therapist, right. Mm -hmm. And, And getting some clinical oversight. And so I'm hoping that that will kind of take off. And that's what her, her, um, envision is is because she's like, there's so many people that just are, are left to their own devices with this and it's just not fair.
0: So my dad was
2: addicted my whole life and I'll try to detach so I don't get emotional, but my mom was like wildly codependent and like an enabler. And he passed away a year ago, July trying, trying, <laughs> We're trying. Just, yeah. but I've watched her try to untangle for like the last like year and a half. And it's a mess. Like she never got the apology. Like, I'm really, really proud of you. I'm proud of you for your kids and for Ashley that you can do the things you're doing because a lot of people like I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. I never got the apology. I, I traumatic childhood inconsistency. I never got, I never got the men's. I never got the ownership or any of that. And for what you're doing for your family and for the family cycle, and then for y'all to be pouring into community, like, I mean, I was sitting at Al-Anon meetings and I'm like, yeah, this is like fine, but like there's no meat to this. There's no like, there's nobody there like really, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not, it is a resource that's awesome, but it's just not rich enough. It's once a week. It feels like
0: you leave feeling less alone which is I incredible with, when i when when i used to go to Essanon, there was yes. the cross. the having no crosstalk i need someone to talk to like you're just like you yeah. just say it but then there's no support and then right. i leave and i'm like well i feel worse than when i walked in and my so mom is, is like stopped.
2: barely untangling like we're talking 40 years of just chaos and i'm watching her start to like pull it apart but it is like slow and and there is a piece where the person that did this is, isn't available to be talked to or any of that. So like you just need to know how huge and wonderful everything you're doing for your family, for yourself, everything. Like I know you know it probably, but like you don't see the ownership is everything for your people.
3: I'm sorry to hear that. And no, thank you for sharing that. real though. life.
2: I'm like listening to you and I'm like, God, what a different life it would have been, you know? No, if I, someone like you was like my dad, <laughs> which is awkward because you're younger than me, but you know <laughs> I,
3: I No, but it, but I, again, as I think it's so important that we talk about this, you yeah. know, I think that's, it is. And there's, but there's so, this isn't going anywhere, right? I mean, mm-hmm. mental health and addiction has just been on a steady incline over the last 20 years. And I mean, what is it going to take for, for a change and a shift to happen? And I think it's, it starts with communication. It starts about having the conversation and being open like this because there's, mm-hmm millions not thousands not hundreds it's millions of people that are in your shoes in my shoes and that are going through this today and so i and there's a
2: million ashley's like
3: millions more there's more because wherever going like i'm now supposed to
2: love you like you were an asshole a day ago you know it's (laughs) hard
3: but i think you like this to bring that like Alanon is a tremendous resource but again it's 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 a piece. It's, it's a piece, but there's it's there's what Ashley and what we're trying to bring together for that is 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 really another tool in the toolkit, right? Is is if Alanon works for you, phenomenal. We love it. We that's what helped Ashley tremendously. But she was looking at how can I even add to that. And so um again from crosstalk and being able to have that insight, but even having clinical oversight and actually having takeaways that are tangible from a professional. So
1: Catherine, what were you going to say, Ben? Well, I was going to say to you, I mean, obviously we have a similar story as well. Um, But I think for us, with our parents, the generation, they didn't talk about it. They didn't communicate, you know? So I know that we also, my mother's still alive and we have that issue, but the communication Mm -hmm. is not like this. Well, and my grandfather
2: was an alcoholic, so it was genetic and it was what she learned to live with. And you either marry one, become one, is the statistic that leads that. So- her emotional bandwidth for it was it's so comfortable to her which is crazy but it's true because it's unhealthy but she saw it.
0: Have you gotten right. in the mens from your mom? Um
1: she would say yes. <laughs> she would say yes for sure. Um you know, but no, not really. Mm-mm. Not really. What would you want or need? See that's the, that's the that's the that's the part that's hard for me because I don't long for that like you do. Mm -hmm. My brothers do, I think. I think that they've they've handled it very differently. I was kind of the one where I'm like, I just don't even want to, like, I'll take it. I'll take your, you know, whatever apology and just, like, move over here. I just kind of compartmentalized it, put it over here. Um, But... I also don't know that she has the capacity to apologize in the right way. Yeah. She doesn't have the tools that, you know, she truly didn't and doesn't, you know, and I think that it's a different generation. Very, not that that's an excuse, but I do. I think people are doing the things that you're doing and paying attention and are getting honest and, you know, and I don't think she's at that place. I don't think she's fully ever gotten honest with herself. So, um, yeah, we don't have a lot of
2: ownership going on. So
1: no, not really either. Um, but again, not again. It's not an excuse, but it just feels so generational. I think we're just more open to it now. We're talking about it more now. People are more aware of it. But not to switch gears, but I do have a question, kind of in regards to that. Like, since it is um, genetic, have you all had conversations about your own children and like what that can possibly look like in the future? Because that's tough.
3: Yes, and so. Um we are very aware of that when we had conversations probably even a couple of years ago around this and how we're going to navigate this and and incorporate the communication with our kids. Um, because you know, they're, they got a a 50 50 chance of having a, having it, like, I mean, pretty severely, um, this based on my genetic makeup and, and the background and the history. And, and so, um, we 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 already we're already starting the conversation with Delilah around mental health and again is what I like for every morning, like I, I, we start at, she's five years old. And so we wake up and we do a gratitude list. We do three things that she's grateful for and, and, and why, and I do that with her. And
1: I was thinking about that when you said that I was like, I'm going to do that with my
3: kids. I yeah. love that. And, and so, I mean, but we made it up like we made it a cool process where she lights candles and it's kind of like this experience where she looks forward to doing, to you know, doing it. And when we don't do it, she's like, dad, we didn't do our gratitude list. And so it's just starting to incorporate the, these little behaviors. And then just, even when she's really upset getting on her level, getting, you know, literally phys- physically getting on my knees and just talking to her at her level and just kind of understanding and kind of walking through these processes because, you know, we had to just, we had the shooting that just happened and it was w- too close figuratively and literally. I mean, it was, it was 12 minutes from our house and it was this same age as our kids and to have to sit down and, and have that conversation with Delilah, you know, that, that, you know, not only is there, you know, trainings and, or, you know, um, you're going to have, you know, for, for tornadoes and for, uh, earthquakes and, and things like that. But now there's, you know, for, we had to use the term like bad, bad people that can come on to, to campus and, and that, you know, that can, you know, for an active shooter type of thing. And it's like, how you, how do you break that down? And again, Ashley was instrumental in that process and, and, um, and how we did that, but it's having that conversation. And I think what we're really trying to do is create a really safe place for them to come to, to talk and communicate. And, um, you know, cause there's pretty fascinating statistics that are out there. I mean, if you're, if you don't drink or use drugs or any mood altering substances by the age of 21, you have a 90% chance of never struggling with addiction. Wow. And so, um, wow.
2: my husband is that preacher's wow. kid, never drank really, never did anything. Still has never done a drug in his life. He's 48.
3: Yeah. Insane. But I think just kind of looking at some of those things and, and just really trying to make an and show And and leveraging the knowledge that we have today, right? Because I also think that where there's a default from like the baby boomers and some of the older demographic is, they really didn't even know how to to process or share what was really going on. They weren't they just weren't equipped with it. And so I think we're in a different time now. But it's it's being present. And I think the best thing we can do is is being there for our kids and just and to to know that they can trust us. They have a safe place to come to, and and that they have support.
2: Like literally, I can die happy knowing like that's what I've done with my kids. Like that is like, that has been my goal since I could understand what the goal was.
3: Yeah.
2: It just matters. I'm not going to nail it. I'm not trying to be perfect, but just the breaking of the cycle. And it's not lost on me that my daughter and I were due a day apart. Ended up being two days apart. Like it, it, God is just really the hand and the, the poetic ability of all of that is just never lost on me.
3: So good.
0: The statistics that you were sharing with me too, fascinated me with the binge drinking that's going on in in our age right yeah. now isn't it can you
3: lay some of those stats out well actually coming here that's why we did the PSA yeah. um we actually did a public service announcement around this but uh moving to Tennessee the the number one health crisis in the state of Tennessee is binge drinking and so when we in our age like the
2: right well, isn't well, it like well, 30s
3: uh, well, actually, 40s 50s i I'm not sure about that piece but I think mm. the thing that you're talking about is the leading cause of death in America for 50 old individuals and younger is substance abuse mm. um so I mean it's literally the leading cause of death and so when you look at this that's what I'm saying it's 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 not going anywhere um and I mean prior to I'll give you you know what the um craziest thing is is prior to covid somebody was overdosing at the rate of, of every 11 minutes you know what it is today one every 90 seconds mm. and so it's, do you
0: think that's because of fentanyl too?
3: It's uh, yeah. I mean that that adds to it, but it's it's again is like I even ask the question and, and start the conversation is you know we talk about how much fentanyl and how much opiates and how much you know how many drugs are coming into the into the to the states. My question is is why is there such a high demand?
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Like okay, it's one yeah we understand that, but why are so many people wanting to do it? like why are they so disconnected? And like so it's a wrong? business. Well, no, but like, why it's are some people mental, wanting to like, escape? Yeah, yeah, like, right. I mean, I, for, like,
2: you don't have a, you don't have a business if you don't have clients. A, in a,
3: in a, a it, well, that's my exactly. Right. But being in a very sober state, I mean, n- not my younger self, but now it's like I would never want to partake in any of that stuff. I'd be, you know, like I, I mean, if I ever had the thought of a beer sounds good or something, like, of course, that th- thought comes and goes, and it's how I process, and that's and and again, it's 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 fleeting. It comes and goes, but like. Just looking at what is out there today, and like uh, you know, with with opiates, and the it's just like I can't uh, I can't imagine. Like if the landscape has changed is what I'm getting at. I mean, it's, when yeah. we were younger, it wasn't like we we're going to take something and we were going to die.
0: Right. Well, here's the here's the thing. So I've never I've never touched a drug because I've always been afraid that I'm going to die. Right. But back then, it, you wouldn't like it's unless you like overdosed. Right. But like now, I'm like to my kids, if you even try the small, you could you will die. Like yeah. most likely because of freaking fentanyl. Yeah. Like that's where something I'm something's like, replaced with something. Yeah. That's where I'm like that piece. I'm like just don't do it. <laughs>
3: Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, it's just really, it's a, it, the, the world we live in is, is different today. And it's just, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, you look at like, what are, why are there such a high demand for these types of things that are, that are out there? It's really mm. alarming.
0: Do you, I, one of the things that, you know, like you're saying right now, um, with everyone, you know, wanting to, the drugs and stuff, I just wish there was an easier reach f- to, for people to be able to have therapy. Cause I think that's an issue too. A lot of people are like, well, I can't afford it. And it's like, oh, like what therapy's done for all of us in this room is, has been amazing. It's helped with so much. That's the piece where I'm like, why? I just wish there was something we can do. And I know you do that right with what you're working on right now.
3: Yeah. And well, I mean, that's, I, I think the more that we can get behind that, we can get more people supporting that effort is, is important. Like that's the stuff that I'm doing and working with, dr amen at the change your brain foundation is we're trying to have it be more accessible for people to actually get scans of their brains and i think the thing that really that i love around this and it's even changing the the narrative of of how we look at mental health right and we've been treating mental health the same way we have for the last 150 years we've been clustering a bunch of symptoms and throwing medication at it when in reality we know the organ that's directly impacted so why are we not focusing on it and that's being the brain And through, you know, spec imaging, where you can actually see the deficiencies through where people have less blood flow through their brain, you can actually see what may be causing or triggering different things. And so I think the more that we provide access, and we can actually get to the core root cause of this is going to help us be able to treat further and further and have better Mm -hmm. treatment plans for these types of things. But I think, you know, from the stuff that we're doing at Dr. Amen, allowing people to actually get brain scans of what's going on within their brain to see what's going on and then being able to set them up with appropriate therapists and psychiatrists to be able to come up with an effective treatment plan. I mean, we need to make that more readily available for people, um, it's, 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 it's time.
2: It's literally the only way that I've been able to do anything.
0: Yeah. yeah. Three things you're grateful for to end this on a happier note.
3: <sighs> oh my gosh, I'm, I'm grateful for my sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful for my relationship with God and I gr- I'm grateful, um, that I'm able to be present, um, today.
0: Yeah. Well, Jason, we are so happy that you came on the show. Thank you, um, for again, um, doing what you do and I'm, I'm proud to be your friend and I'm happy to, you know, to watch you do everything you're doing and join forces with you. So thanks for coming on the show.
3: Thank you guys for having me. Thank
1: you.
0: Hey there, mamas. Everyone knows how it goes. You're giving it your all to breastfeed or pump for your little one. But there are times when you might need a little extra help. That's where Traditional Medicinals Mother's Milk comes in. Mother's Milk is an organic herbal tea blend designed to support healthy lactation for breastfeeding and pumping moms. Plus, it's caffeine-free. Learn more about Mother's Milk at traditionalmedicinals.com forward slash Mother's Milk. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This project is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know, I don't even know where to start with this because it's the comfort E C O V A S dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
5: any disease.